0: Hello, this is Pizzicato Ost, and I am Leo Jivecki. We are uh, proud to present the second episode in the Recommended Pieces section of our project. Today we'll talk about a piece called In the Steps of Central Asia by composer Alexander Borodin. The structure of today's show is going to be the following we will first give a short biography of the composer. Then we will talk about the circumstances that led to the writing of the piece. Um, Afterwards, we'll give a short historic overview to explain the events the piece is actually depicting. We will then pass on to giving a bit of information about the recordings we're going to use for the demonstration of the piece, with a few words about the conductors and the orchestras. And finally, we shall get to hear bits of the piece with a little theoretical intro to each section. Um, This will be followed by one full playback from beginning to end. It is my impression that the name Alexander Borodin is not one that is known to an average person, even with some interest in classical music. However, I'm pretty sure that many people know a certain Warren Griffin III, also known as Warren G., who also happens to be the brother of a certain Dr. Dre. So in 1997... Warren G. comes up with the following track.
1: dog, patrolling the beach, niggas say they hardest pitch, but they as soft as a peach, claiming the G of all G's, please, I come blowing through like the breeze, sitting on threes, posted, coasting, mashing down Pacific coast, and the bomb rims, black on black, you come, with nuts hanging, from the city where the bangers be banging, it don't seem like shit is changing, I hollered at the homie the other day, G'd up at the one of the homies took a beating So now it's finna be a gang And checking at the meeting Life cycles repeating It's just another sunset falling. see I can hear the homies that pass calling me And you know what i discovered? What they keep saying Keep your mind and your money Motherfuckers in shape bus
0: This is inspired by the opera Prince Igor by Alexander Borodin. Just a fun fact to get us started here. Now, while I would usually start by saying this and that person was a great Russian composer, with Borodin I have to start differently. Alexander Porfirievich Borodin was a prominent Russian chemist who practiced composing music in his spare time and when ill. Borodin was born in 1833 in St. Petersburg as an illegitimate son to a 62-year-old Georgian nobleman and a married 25-year-old Russian woman. Due to these circumstances, he gets registered as the son of one of his father's subjects, a certain Porfiri Borodin. This is where he gets the surname and the patronymic. His biological father emancipates him from service when he is six years old and uh, gets him and his mother, who is by then remarried, a four-story house. Even though he now lives with his biological mother, he's only allowed to call her auntie. Um, Two stepbrothers are later born, each from the next husband, and Borodin keeps a lifelong contact with them as close family. Now this bastard status is making it quite hard for the young Borodin to get to school, and he gets education at home, going through all the courses he would have had um, at the gymnasium. Parallel to making great success in chemistry already as in this um, school age, he also shows interest in music and starts composing. He plays the flute, the cello, the piano, and even completes a cello concerto as early as 1847. Now, while the early works of Borodin mostly did not survive, we can have an idea of what could inspire a young composer in the mid 1840s in Saint Petersburg? The star author would be Mikhail Glinka, with the first serious Russian operas and a mind set to establish a local musical culture. We will hear a song by Glinka. I recall a wonderful moment, or я помню чудное мгновение. This was composed in 1845 and greatly popular ever since. And this is sung by Sergei Lemeshev, a star tenor of the Bolshoi Theater back from the 1920s until the 1970s. He was one of the most beloved Lenskys in Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin and he had sung his 501st and last performance of the opera in nineteen seventy two at the age of seventy at the Bolshoi.
2: Красоты, как гений чистой красоты, в тяглении грусти безнадежной, в тревогах шумной суеты Звучал мне долго голос нежный и с ним ли смелые черты и с ним. Шли годы, бурь, порыв, мятежный, рассеял прежние мечты, и я забыл твой голос нежный, твои небесные черты, твои небесные черты. В глуши, во мраке заточенья Тянулись тихо дни мои Без божества, без вдохновения, Без слез, без жизни, без любви Без слез, без жизни Зену без любви. В душе настало пробуждение, и вот опять я горилл как мимолетное видение, как гений чистой красоты, как гений чистой красоты. И сердце бьется в ухоении, и для него воскресли вновь и божество, и вдохновение, и жизни и слезы, и любовь, и божество, и вдохновение.
0: Later, in 1850, with some alternative paths in the bureaucratical system, the 17-year-old Borden manages to enter the Medical Surgical Academy in St. Petersburg. There he spends six years. It is known that during these years he's also been composing mostly songs and this is not being very supported by his teachers. In uh, 1856, Bordin starts a professional scientific career. He publishes articles on organic chemistry and starts to teach. He becomes doctor of medicine and finishes his dissertation. As uh, an interesting coincidence, um, Bordin has... A medical shift at the military hospital, and the same shift is shared by military officer Modest Musolsky. They find a common language, which is mostly surrounding music, of course, and keep in touch further. Borodin states in his memoirs that he's highly impressed by this bold musical language he sees in the works of this young officer. In 1859, Borodin goes for practical works abroad. We know he had worked in chemical laboratories in Heidelberg and in Pisa. In September 1860, he takes part in the famous Karlsruhe Congress, where the world first gets a clear definition of the terms atom and molecule. In May 1861, Borodin meets Ekaterina Protopopova, a Russian aristocrat sent to the mineral waters of Germany by her doctors. She's a relatively good pianist and holds a musical salon promoting the new music of Schumann and Chopin. These new impressions inspire Borodin to compose music, and this period sees new works, such as a cello sonata, a string trio, and a string sextet. Now, again, works from this period of Borodin's life are not widely performed, but um, let's imagine... What it is that could be played at Protopopova's salon in 1861. Here is the uh, first movement of Schumann's piano trio, number two, opus 80, composed in 1847. This is played by the Beaux Arts trio, recorded in 1993. (music) But soon, Miss Protopopova's health gets worse and the doctors recommend she immediately change the climate and go south. Borodin joins her and while she continues treatment in Pisa, Borodin joins the chemical laboratory at the local university, becoming the first to develop benzoyl chloride. He also finds the time to compose a piano quintet. In September 1862, Borodin returns to St. Petersburg and to the Medical Surgical Academy, where he takes on a professorship. The same year, he meets the composer Mili Balakirev and enters his music circle, the one that is going to be known later as the Mighty Handful or the Russian Five. Other members of the circle are Cesar Cui, Modest Mussorgsky, and Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov. The group is dedicated to producing a uniquely Russian kind of classical music rather than imitating earlier Western European models. As an example of the Mighty Handful's ideas, I will play for you the overture to Rimsky-Korsakov's opera The Tsar's Bride from 1899. This is from the full recording of the opera with the Mariinsky Orchestra under Valery Gergiev, recorded in 1998. In April 1863, Borodin marries Yekaterina Protopopova and continues to be her doctor, her nurse, her psychological and financial support until the end. In his established St. Petersburg years, Borodin does remarkable steps in promoting education in Russia. Among others, he founds the School of Medicine for Women in St. Petersburg, He also takes part in the foundation of the Russian Chemical Society and is one of the editors of the Knowledge magazine. He's known to have used his social position for protecting students from political prosecution. Now, the pinnacle of Borodin's symphonic work is his Second Symphony. Composed in 1876, it was first performed the next year by Eduard Napravnik, a good composer himself and chief conductor of the Mariinsky Theater for almost half a century. As always, after the death of Borodin, Rimsky-Korsakov and Glazunov had made significant changes to the score before making it official in print. This is Arturo Toscanini conducting the NBC Symphony Orchestra with the scherzo of Borodin's Second Symphony on a radio broadcast in February 1938. Alexander Borodin dies in 1887 at the age of only 53 at a costume party, presumably of heart failure. Borodin's music legacy is not very big in size. It contains 16 songs, 3 symphonies, some piano pieces, instrumental miniatures, a symphonic poem, and a big opera, Prince Igor. I would say that Prince Igor is the main work Borodin is known for. It is a piece the composer had been working on in his free time for 18 years and never finished. After his death, it was orchestrated by Rimsky-Korsakov and Glazunov, and there have been further later versions of it as well. Let's hear a little piece from the famous Polovetsian dances from the opera. This is the New York Philharmonic playing, conducted by Leonard Bernstein in 1967. Now, I remind you that the piece in focus today is in the steppes of Central Asia. And the circumstances surrounding its appearance are important for understanding the context. 1880 was a big anniversary year. Emperor Alexander II was celebrating 25 years on the throne. A year prior to that, in the spring of 1879 two gentlemen called Tatishev and Karovin Krukovsky were contacting several composers. This we know from the different diaries and memoirs, including the ones of Rimsky-Korsakov. The two gentlemen were planning a staged show celebrating the emperor's silver jubilee. This was supposed to be a great spectacle, It was intended to be a row of the so-called tableau vivant, an exotic and now largely forgotten art form. Here, the actors pose, motionless, in a set, often lit with stage light, and it all is supposed to resemble a painting. Each tableau was to represent a glorious episode of the reign of Alexander II. Now, exactly how actors would be standing motionless for the full length of the musical pieces, we'll never know, but this was the plan. But now, the music was being commissioned. We know for sure that, apart from Borodin, also Rimsky-Korsakov and Mursorsky were approached. Um, The works were ready within a few months. Rimsky wrote the Slava, or Glory, chorus, and Mussorgsky composed The Siege of Kars. And Borodin prepared in the steppes of Middle Asia. Let's take a few minutes to hear the Mussorgsky piece. Um, To be honest, I'd never heard of this march before. Um, it is not a piece that shows Musorgsky in his most original, but still quite interesting. The title, The Siege of Kars, refers to an episode of the Crimean War of 1853 to 1856. Here, the Russian troops took the fortified city of Kars from the Ottomans and the English after five months of siege. Um, Currently, Kars is a small town in the very eastern part of Turkey. We will hear the piece played by the Toronto Symphony Orchestra under Yuka Pekka Saraste. Now, we don't know the precise reasons why the festivities were cancelled, but I am pretty sure that the Tsar was devastated after yet another, and this is the fourth known, assassination attempt. On February the 5th, 1880, the 24-year-old Russian proletarian and a revolutionary terrorist Stepan Khalturin blows up about 30 kilos of dynamite in the cellar of the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg. You might know it as the Hermitage Museum. Now, this is right above the dining room where the emperor was supposed to have lunch with Alexander, Prince of Hessen, who was the emperor's brother-in-law. But the prince's train was late, and by the time of the explosion... The relatives were just greeting each other at the entrance hall of the palace. The dining room, as well as some surrounding halls, were heavily damaged. This is currently hall number 160 of the Hermitage. Eleven palace employees got killed. Fifty-six were wounded. The terrorist Khalturin went on with his terroristic activity, and was arrested after assassinating the chief prosecutor of Odessa in 1882. He was sentenced to death and shot. His legacy was greatly commemorated by Soviet society, and streets bearing his name existed in dozens of cities of the Soviet Union, including Moscow. Alexander II was killed by another terrorist a year later, in March 1881. Now, after commissioning the musical piece to the composers named above, the gentlemen Tatishev and Karovin Krukovsky disappeared, and none of the composers heard from them ever since. Now, the steppes of Middle Asia. What does this actually mean? Well, Basically, steppes are plain lands without any trees, and the steppes of Middle Asia is a poetic reference to the lands that were conquered by the Russian Empire during the reign of Alexander II and became known as Russian Turkestan and later Soviet Central Asia. Just to give you an idea... These are currently the territories of sovereign states Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Turkmenistan. So if we use modern borders, the area was about 4 million square kilometers, which is about half the size of the United States without Alaska. Um... These events, the conquering of such huge, exotic territories, have raised significant interest in Russian society. Vasily Vereshagin, the painter, makes a whole row of paintings, the so-called Turkestan series, which was also exhibited at the Crystal Palace in London in 1873. Now, with all this background information, I think we can start talking about the actual piece this episode is dedicated to. Alexander Porfiryevich Borodin In the Steps of Central Asia, composed in 1880. This is a symphonic poem with duration about eight minutes. The orchestra is set with two flutes, an oboe, an English horn, two clarinets, and two bassoons in the woodwind section, four horns, two trumpets, three trombones in the brass, timpani, and strings. The work is dedicated to Ferenc Liszt, whom Borodin had met a few times in Weimar, and who is said to have praised the piece, although I have not found any evidence to it. And, by the way, Bordin has a whole big article on his impressions from Liszt. The Steps of Middle Asia is a programmatic piece, which means that the composer has released it with a specific name and with a corresponding text. It is short, and I will read it out to you now. In the Silence of the monotonous steppes of Central Asia, is heard the unfamiliar sound of a peaceful Russian song. From the distance, we hear the approach of horses and camels and the bizarre and melancholy notes of an Oriental melody. A caravan approaches, escorted by Russian soldiers, and continues safely on its way through the immense desert. It disappears slowly, trustfully, and fearlessly, making its long, weary way with the Russian armed forces keeping it safe. The peaceful notes of the Russian and Asiatic melodies join in a common harmony, which dies away as the caravan disappears in the distance. As you can see, the program here is setting the mood and showing the sets rather than narrating a story. Now, there have been many recordings of the Steps of Asia made along the years, and it was quite difficult to choose one to play for you. Um, I was, however, able to break the piece into four tiny sections. I will be giving a short intro to each of the sections and playing each from a different recording. So here we go. So the high-pitched string harmonic sounds serve as the opening to this piece. We're kind of hearing this sizzling desert air with its endlessness and monotony. A clarinet starts this broad melody which then gets picked up by the horns resembling a Russian folk song. This solo and choir technique is quite typical for a Russian song. These are the Cossacks accompanying the caravan. And the entrance of the strings with their pinching pizzicato embodies the movement of the caravan, a sort of a floating. The hollow-sounding fifths and the empty chords in the woodwinds, the long restrained notes in the horns, with a constant high-pitched harmonics in the strings, keep reminding us the image, the endless hot desert. This was the Staatskapelle Dresden under Kurt Sanderling on a recording from 1960. The second theme is introduced by the English horn. It is, in contrast to the Russian song, an Eastern melody. It is an original theme, not a known Eastern motif. We see this from the composer's many attempts at it in his drafts. Um, It has the eastern characteristics of returning over and over to the same sound, being highly elaborated with multiple grace notes, and a constant change of rhythm, kind of a swinging rhythm. This is the song of the camel driver. The Asian song dies out, and for some time we only hear the desert. We will hear the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra under Ferenc Fritschai. This is done in March, 1952. sure you've noticed how the two conductors represent so differently the tempo marking, which is, in this case, uh, an allegro con moto. I have a feeling the first is almost twice slower than the second. But here, slowly out of the desert, the Russian theme reappears, growing into a large-scale tutti. This is Charles Munch with the French radio and television orchestra in 1966. Quite a specific, unique sound in the brass section in this French orchestra, I find. Further into the piece, both themes are played together. We hear them a few times interwining and changing places. They never come in conflict or contradict one another. On the contrary, they play together, blending into one. This is not just a musical practice, but also a philosophical vision of Borodin's. He sees the great benefits of peace and mutual respect. In the end, the Asian melody disappears, while bits of the Russian are still heard, until they too die out and fade into the desert air, in a very soft pianissimo Now the last bit comes from an old recording it's uh, the Concertgebouw Orchestra in Amsterdam under Willem Mengelberg and this is 1941 so the quality is not ideal but I find this to be a, a very good recording of the piece We will now let you enjoy Alexander Borodin's In the Steps of Asia, From Beginning to End. You will hear the USSR State Symphony Orchestra conducted by Yevgeny Svetlanov, who has been its chief conductor for many years. The orchestra was founded in 1936 in Moscow, and coincidentally, during the Second World War, the orchestra was evacuated to Central Asia and was quite active there. Under Yevgeny Svetlanov, they undertook a fascinating project, the Anthology of Russian Music, which is a huge collection of recordings of Russian classics. This is now also digitalized and available on streaming platforms. The orchestra now bears the name State Symphony Orchestra and bears the name of its great conductor Svitlanov. It is currently headed by Vladimir Yurovsky. I will now say goodbye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I encourage you to give comments and feedback to make this program better. We will be back soon with more music. And for now, bye-bye.